Good afternoon. It's just gone one o'clock on a Tuesday. That means it's time for the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. I'm your host, Stilly Sharalambus. I'm joined in studio by the beautiful Ranjini Munasami. Welcome back, Ranjini. It's been a while since we've had you in the studio with us. Yes, I've been having withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> the, the good kind of withdrawal uh, symptoms, yes. I hope. Yeah. And we've got our FT editor, first thing newsletter editor, John Stupart. Welcome back, John. Thank you. Still getting my, my daily dose here as well. <laughs> cool. So the, uh, the first thing newsletter you can uh, get on Daily Maverick uh, by subscribing to Daily Maverick or uh, in the form of the Daily Dose with Cliff Central that goes out every morning. Uh, John is the editor and uh, wakes up very early every day to make sure that all 70,000 recipients get uh, informed and educated uh, first thing in the morning. Uh, John, what are some of the highlights that uh, you've been covering for first thing in today in the last couple of days? Yeah, I mean, well... The problem is you, 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 you tend to get the news dominated by Islamic State and Ebola. So finding sort of the, the, the interesting news behind that in the past week is quite a, quite a challenge. Not, not to say ISIS and uh, e- Ebola aren't important. And I tend to run them every day because there's always something going on. But uh, today, for example, um, the Supreme Court ruling that I included in today's first thing by the American court, um, well, it wasn't a ruling so much as they refused to 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 um, uh, receive an appeal against gay marriage mm-hmm. um, in the United States. And I think this was quite, quite significant, given that it was the Supreme Court and thus on a national level rather than a federal level, which means there aren't just, you know, uh, uh, spots of states trying to trying to uh, pass or, you know, ban gay marriage again. Um, so that, that was certainly quite significant. Obviously, the first Spaniard um, infected with Ebola outside mm-hmm. of West. Africa, which in itself is uh, uh, different to the American yeah. case, in that it was a, a literal infection outside of uh, outside of the continent. Yeah, I wanted to touch on the uh, the gay marriage um, um, piece that uh, you covered, uh, and that now it's um, thirty out of the fifty one states in America, it's now legal for gay marriage to take place. Which I think for the first time, um, there are now more states in America where gay marriage is legal um, than before, where there were it was legal in more states to marry your second cousin than it was <laughs> to marry your gay partner. Now that now that it's now shifted and now gone to 30 out of 51, it's now, uh, for the first time ever, gay marriage is now legal in more states than uh, it is allowed to marry your second cousin. I'm, a, I'm only slightly relieved for civilization <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to, to see that that's actually a marginal gain for gay marriage over, over sort of incestuous yeah. marriages. <laughs> and maybe we'll get to, we'll get to a stage where uh, we can just call it marriage and not just gay marriage. Yeah. Uh, it always reminds me of uh, this great cartoon that was in the New Yorker, uh, depicts uh, this elderly couple and they're watching TV or one of them's reading a newspaper and the topic of, of gay marriage comes up in the, the the wife turns to the husband and says, you know, Ralph, what do you think of this gay marriage? Should we let it, you know, go ahead? And uh, Ralph you know, turns to her and he says, I don't know, Doris. It seems they've suffered enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I was searching for quotes this morning as we because with the first thing newsletter, we, we always include a quote at the start. Um, and I thought I was looking for something on gay marriage. And one of the, the quotes I encountered was, we should absolutely let the gays marry. They're the only ones who want to. These days. <laughs> um, so that, that was my second choice. Unfortunately, I didn't run with it today. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the, the, the scary sort of uh, news that uh, the first case uh, of Ebola being uh, the infection actually yeah. being transfer or happening uh, outside of the borders i mean uh, that's uh, it seems that the the doomsday or the you know the prophecies and the uh, uh, and all the you know bad predictions are starting to come true and does it 
scare the shit out of you, Ranjani? Of course it does. And but you know, th- there's also like a slant in in the way Ebola is being reported mm. because there's like. 2,000 people infected mm-hmm. in Africa and then one guy in Texas has it and suddenly, you know, it's a global crisis mm-hmm. and now it's gone off to, to Spain um, and uh, the the news is completely on this nurse mm-hmm. now and the, this, I think uh, 22 mm-hmm. people she may have infected or mm-hmm. came into mm-hmm. contact with and suddenly, you know, the, 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 the entire reportage on mm-hmm. Ebola is on that mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, not, uh, as, uh, you know, how it's being dealt with here in Africa. So, yeah, I, but I suppose it's a new angle to it, and I, I believe that it was predicted that within three weeks it's going to uh, uh, reach the UK. So I don't know. I'm not sure how exactly that's going to happen, but um, you know, it's um, it's sometimes the news channels also, you know, like with the uh, the reportage of the the disappearance of uh, of the Malaysian aircraft. You know, you mm. you you go into this like wild speculation territory mm. of how exactly it's going to, you know, the the, the uh, mm. what. What, what's going to happen? And next. everyone becomes an expert, and yes. everyone, everyone's got yes. a prediction. Yes. Everyone's got so, an idea. So you know, you what, can just you know. thumb suck, you know yeah. that. Um, you know, you can meet somebody in a bar, and you know, mm. suddenly, uh, you know, in the airport bar, and suddenly Ebola goes with you where you're going, and then everybody yeah. on the plane gets it, and then everybody yeah. you, where you are. It reminds me it. a lot of this, this, this sort of hyperventilation in the early days of the HIV uh, um, crisis that the, the world faced, where there was a lot of misinformation flying around. Mm. I think we've seen exactly the same thing with mm. Ebola where okay one person with Ebola traveled to America and now one person is infected in Spain but these are first world countries they have first world health uh, facilities those people who were uh, uh, surrounded or in contact with that Spaniard is now they, they're all <clears throat> under uh, um, observation they're all receiving top class health care I read a story the other day about Sierra Leone there's entire uh, containers full of medical supplies just sitting at the docks because of sheer Mismanagement mm. at the ports, um, you know, and I think that just serves to 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 give a bit of the contrast mm. where you have a country where three people are infected every hour versus one person ever, yeah. um, and and the the headlines all follow with the the, the Spaniard. But it's also hilarious the kind of um, hysteria around it because mm. I don't know if you saw the pictures of the uh, CNN news strap where it said should flights be banned from Africa, <laughs> mm. <laughs> the country. Born. Yes. Yeah, Africa, you know, the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's, there is a level of ignorance about it. Um, but also, you know, I think there is growing panic of mm. how, how it will continue to be spread. And for as long as there is no kind of containment of the, of the epidemic and, the, mm. the, you know, the, the, I suppose as well, speculation will continue. Mm. Uh, and I guess in the digital age as well, it just makes for the easiest spread of uh, misinformation as well as conspiracy theories. I mean, we, we've seen it in the past where, um, you know, a, a tweet from a hacked account, for example, can actually cause stock market crashes, mm-hmm. you know, on the, on the back of this misinformation. Mm-hmm. Now, anyone with access to a WordPress account can mm-hmm. create a conspiracy mm-hmm. website and, you know, and, and doesn't take much or long for some of that stuff mm-hmm. to be, you know, propelled into, into the gossip mill, which then mm-hmm. spits out, you know, a, a rumor that just, you know, can be tweeted, retweeted, and mm. Facebooked ad nauseum, and just create this, you know, crazy yeah. panic. So, it, oh, sorry. It, you know, the, the, the the thing is that the phenomenon of social media, there is just absolutely no control, and especially with something like Ebola, you can you can cause uh, your international panic, you know, with with information just going out. Uh, yesterday, Greg Nicholson and I were at the announcement of the new Reserve Bank. Um, uh, governor, mm-hmm. and we were just saying that you know we can start tweeting something reckless, 
there mm-hmm. um, and say, oh, he's, you know, he doesn't look... Uh, in good know, health Yeah right. Or you know yeah. Too clued up And it can cause The ram to crash mm-hmm. You know Just the two of us And that's how delicate Maybe from your is. account From Jenny, But from, <laughs> from my account I don't think anyone Takes anything seriously well, To give you an ex- a perfect example Of this I mean in, in, in the military Sort of circles That are run around in there um, There was a claim By Terry Crawford Brown Who's now obviously mm-hmm. In the Sariti Commission Talking about how The South African Air Force Are flying zero A109 These are military helicopters mm-hmm. At Ace Deployed Air Force space. Um, now, he's absolutely correct in that, but he's correct because there are absolutely no A109s based at Air Force Base mm-hmm. Aesterplot. But of course, that point is not actually mentioned. So it just goes to show how a little bit of misinformation can create a, uh, quite a lot of uh, lack of confidence or mm. you know, criticism or just you know, the stocks to crash. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned uh, military aircraft there, John, because we now get the chance to talk about the F-22. And uh, awesome. Jenny, just be careful if John gets excited there across from you, across the table. <laughs> I'll try. I'll As try. I'll keep it. Keep I'll it down here. Back. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So for those who don't know the F-22, what is it, John? Where's it been used? What is it? It's not a. It's not a Shreendavani sex toy. Um, <laughs> Absolutely not. And uh, you certainly won't see it flying from Air Force Base Aesterplatz anytime soon. Um, the F-22 Raptor is a. It's it's a stealth jet that's been in development by the the U.S. military for decades now. Um, quite an advanced piece of kit, hellishly expensive, and in fact they stopped manufacturing them because they were so expensive during the financial crisis, um, and opted to go for the 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 F-35 instead. That said, they now have an entire I, I stand on correction here, but I think at least one squadron of F-22 uh, uh, strike jets. Um, in operation, and the first time they were used in combat was against Islamic State terrorists um, back, I think it was last week, actually, when uh, when, when airstrikes entered Syria and became a, a fully-fledged air campaign there. What's the, uh, I mean, what's the, the exciting thing about these F-22s? What, what's the... Uh uh, what was that game where uh, the wingspan or the uh, oh yes uh, uh, the, the, those Jane's trading cards yeah, that we used yeah. to play with as yeah. kids you throw them against the wall maybe betraying my age here a bit <laughs> and whichever ones fall the closest you get to win that battleship or whatever um, yeah, the cool thing about it I think is obviously its ability to remain invisible to radar now not just um, uh, one kind of radar but several different types now i'm not going to put on my anorak and start talking about these things because a i'm not an anorak so mm-hmm. i don't actually know too much about mm-hmm. it but i do know that the aircraft does has remarkable stealth capabilities and that they're simply mm-hmm. unable to be detected which is what i suspect and the u.s air force hasn't actually said anything about why they're used in syria but i suspect one of the reasons why they they use them for specific missions was that syrian f air radar would be unable to pick them up mm-hmm. and thus even interfere with uh, american with airstrikes. Opera, yeah, yeah uh, certainly closer to the capital i think that might be a a, a concern mm-hmm. at least in damascus mm-hmm. And I believe yeah. the the ability to bomb from like 15 miles away is also another big a big plus. Um, yeah, it can, well, it can drop bigger bombs from further away, essentially. Yeah, I mean, although I mean, if we're fighting the Russians, that would probably make a difference. Here, it's it's you know, you know, terrorists with AK-47s, you can bomb them from right above, and it would be okay. Mm. Which is what I, I suspect the real reason the F-22 was used was simply to test it, mm. um, to 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 give it some sort of combat uh, ca- characteristics and things like that. Um, although, as we discussed last week, though. The uh, you know, the Islamic State isn't just a bunch of guys with AK-47s anymore, right? They, right. Uh, you know, they, they've won, they've, uh, you know, taken over some some military uh, equipment uh, from, you know, there are many victories in the region. Mm. Um, and that's part of the problem is that you're not fighting, you know, guys with, uh, you know, 
uh, turbans in hiding in caves, right? These no, guys are getting bigger and more sophisticated. It's certainly quite true. And, and, and what they would have looted from the Iraqi arsenals, at least, would include what are called man pads, which is just basically stinger missiles and shoulder-launched anti-aircraft missiles and things like that, which are dangerous to various kinds of aircraft that the U.S. Air Force use, like the A-10 Thunderbolt, for example, um, which would explain why a lot of these airstrikes you're seeing um, launches from aircraft carriers, high-altitude bombings and things like that, rather than close-in air support, which uh, is more characterized in Afghanistan, for example, where there aren't these these anti-aircraft systems. So I think the, 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 the airstrikes, certainly in, in Syria and Iraq, have been taken with a lot more care about what what they're facing up against. I, I do dispute Simon's claim about you know fighter jets mm. or things like that. Okay, certainly maybe captured, mm. but whether they're operational, I highly, highly doubt. Mm. Yeah. Um, Turkey... You mentioned today, um, seem to be sitting on the sidelines waiting and watching things play out. What, yes. What's going on with Turkey's involvement in, uh, you know, in, in coming to the party as part of the, the, the allied forces? I, I wanted to actually start that story with, with the line of saying something like, uh, Cobain burns while Turkey fiddles because mm. it is literally a case where if you see anything in the news about, uh, IS at the moment, you will see this border town. Um, right from the Turkish side And you'll also see a, a long line of uh, Turkish M60 variant uh, main battle tanks Lined up there Ready for what? I don't know Because it, it seems like they're not actually getting involved um, One of the interesting arguments I actually read about today as well Was saying, well, the Kurds are all about Gaining independence for their own territory This is a theoretically at least a, a test of their independence. They should be able to mm. defend themselves against an external aggressor. That's of course ignoring the fact that they don't have a, you know, a really functional military or anything like that. And beyond that, there's the, the broader humanitarian problem here where, where Kurd, uh, uh, Kurd, or Tur- the Turkish forces are literally watching by while IS rips apart this town. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like uh, IS has now captured, I believe, the, the eastern part uh, of the town and uh, are probably going to capture the rest unless something dramatic happens. Mm-hmm. Airstrikes are happening, but they're not actually, they're not actually having that effect um, you know, in, in mm-hmm. supporting the Kurds that I think they would like. It seems like the approach is to wait and say, well, okay, this is our border. The minute you're over here, then, you know, then we'll do something. The problem yeah. is, is that they might just be a hell of a lot more stronger and bigger and more effective by the time they actually do cross that border right. if they don't you know take mm. any action now so it's kind of this really crazy situation i guess ranjeni if we offered you a uh, daily maverick trip to syria or the <laughs> middle east right now you'd probably decline you know what i got sent to iraq a week before the war i thought the bomb which one the fall- first second one second one Sorry. i'm not that old okay, I'm just <laughs> <saying>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Desert Storm. Uh, no, it wasn't Desert well, Storm. This one was uh, first one. Iraqi Freedom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, I went, I went there a week before the, uh, the, the, the uh, American bombing started, and it was terrifying. So, but I, I, I find, uh, you know, what's happening now, uh, you know, makes makes all of that look like child's play. But I think the other fascinating thing is that how uh, the Islamic State is able to recruit. Um, especially in the U.S., um, you know, and other places, I think that's quite terrifying. And I think that's, uh, you know, in, in the face of of this onslaught and 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 the way they, you know, they they, they sort of their reach is is mm-hmm. moving. And uh, for some reason, this is like 
is some kind of appeal to people, you know, who will live in, in, in sort of modern democracies, but still find some kind of appeal to leave their, they leave their families behind, leave their countries and go there and, um, uh, you mm. know, join, join that cause. And, uh, you know, they, they actually have recruitment videos, uh, which, mm. uh, which is, which is also quite bizarre. But, um, I was also watching a thing of, um, of the women in Islamic State and how they operate. Because, I mean, you've got this very sophisticated military action on one hand, but then you've got this ground, op- you know, mm. operation, mm. people working in communities. Mm. And you find these women in hijab, you know, fully, fully covered up, and they, they walk around with uh, heavy weaponry and uh, looking for other women where they feel are not covered up or, uh, you know, they, they, they doubt their loyalties and, uh, you know, they... Oh, gosh, uh, you know the the woman was was relating the story, was saying you know she couldn't live with a conscience anymore in terms of what they had to do, uh, you know to to punish those people. It's almost like this mob mentality you see in Rwanda, you yes. see in Kosovo, mm-hmm. you saw in, in Bosnia, you see it here in the Middle East yes. as well. That's uh, I guess people are people all over the world. And and, even and the fact that it's all being violence. done in in the name of religion, you mm. know that uh, this is uh, I mean for being co- uh, 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 punishing women for not being covered up is 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 somehow being related to uh, you know that they are not religious enough, mm. they are not holy enough, and and therefore they need to be punished in the most cruel means. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the scariest things about the, the whole uh, progression and development of IS, I think, was um, summed up um, when this American commentator was reporting or commentating on an Al-Qaeda released video. Uh, and after having watched the video, um, you know, he said, you know, this is boring. You know, where's mm. the where's the beheadings? Where's mm. the like music and the editing that yeah. you know, mm. ISIS have now taken terrorism like to a whole new mm. a whole new level? And and I think when we saw pointing out that Al Qaeda are like the light version of uh, of this, I think you know like everyone really has you know uh, a good reason to to start looking for their brown mm. pants. Mm. And certainly the the media campaign ISIS uh, mm. has been. Remarkably well polished, and I think that speaks of the the I, I would say quality in inverted commas here of the the jihadists joining them from European countries. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys have computer skills, they have basic media and design, say not so basic media and production skills, and are able to put together um, on an objective level a rather polished uh, uh, propaganda video. Mm-hmm. Which I think is why, when you look at these beheading videos as well, they don't show the actual beheading. Because nobody wants to see that unless unless people are particularly, uh, I suppose, psychopathic, um, you know, towards that area. But everything leading up to it and afterwards is still quite violent, very disturbing, and, and mm-hmm. gets their message across, which is, I, I, you know, part – well, not part. It's almost the entire point mm-hmm. uh, of, a, of a terrorist organization is to, you know, um, uh, promote that propaganda of the deed, whatever the deed is. And a good point that you make is, is the way that they've used the media, right? So the way that they use social media to get it out there, the way that yes. they also pick the right targets in um, beheading journalists and aid workers. Now, mm-hmm. the, sort of the two sort of um, um, sort of camps or professions that are going to get a lot of media coverage, yeah. um, you know, even more. I mean, you know, as journalists, we rally around our own when, you know, when one's attack, it's attack on all of us. Mm. Uh, and that's just going to get, you know, the entire world's attention, entire media, world's media attention. As well as a guy performing the deed, that jihadi John. Mm, yeah. I mean, there's a, it sounds like a bit not, like a, Not this John, I should say. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, you know, he, there's now like this phenomenon around him mm. and who is he? Mm. How did he, you know, where does he come from? Uh, mm. you know, the, the British government has got this massive operation to try and track him down. But I think that all lends to this, mm. um, this mystery and, uh, uh, you know, fascination with, uh, with Islamic State.
Mm. Um, okay, so moving on to something hopefully a little bit more uplifting uh, than, <laughs> than ice, and unfortunately a phrase we have to use almost week in and week out when we're yeah. talking about world affairs and current affairs. Um, our sort of factoid of the week, uh, we try and include something a little bit lighter and some fact. My fact of the week um, is that the UK has now for the first time included an estimate uh, in its national books of national accounts, so what the effect on GDP would be if they included the domestic uh, product of um, illegal drugs, the sale of illegal drugs and prostitution. And that number uh, was estimated to be 12 billion pounds. Um, so there's, there's sort of three facts rolled up into one. That's the first one. It's 12 billion pounds would be added to the UK GDP. And the reason they're kind of doing it, it, it seems like that, um, they're leaning towards, well, if we can quantify this now and put a number to it, um, we can maybe look at, at, at potentially legalizing it down, down the line because a lot of European countries are now starting to, uh, already have included that estimate into mm-hmm. their, uh, report on, on on GDP and national accounts. So it seems like you know when you're running out of tax revenue without increasing tax revenue, where can we go? Uh, and it does seem like the, there could be a shift in thinking coming up. Um, but the other facts um, that were interesting to come out of that was that at that number, there would be more than the um, uh, the GDP that is contributed by the combined sale of nicotine and alcohol in the UK. Which puts it into perspective because wow. the UK can consume yes. alcohol. If you've ever spent, <laughs> if you ever spent any time there, you'll know that they're, they're, they're up there in, in terms of the. I'm still in detox from my year there. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, uh, lastly, uh, the third sort of fact rolled into this what, what, from a very interesting article on The Guardian, if you get the chance to go and read it, um, was that they were made some assumptions around their estimations. And, and the, the 12 billion number has been criticized because there's so many assumptions and variables here that you know it, it's effectively guesswork um, but one of the things they excluded from the calculation was the effect that male prostitution would have on that 12 billion number so it really only um, pertains to female prostitutes that were included in that 12 billion number now you think well, yeah, how, exploit us, you know, well, how, how big can the effect of male prostitution be on that number you ask oh yeah well i'm glad you asked that question <laughs> um it's estimated that 42 percent of all sex workers in the uk are male uh, which was a number I mm. thought was, was 42%. 42%. Um, so, uh, Srin Devani, has probably had here. a lot to do with that, stimulating <laughs> that part of the economy. Um, uh, but it's a crazy number. It's a huge number. Um, 42%, which I thought was quite interesting. So yeah, maybe we should look at that. You know, the NC is desperate for radical economic transformation. Maybe we just need to rejig the way we look at, uh, at the figures, you know, and, uh, the president wanted to create 500,000 jobs. Yeah, we can do it. Look. Well, you know, I, I've always uh, been a, a supporter of the move to legalize um, things like prostitution and drug, ta- and especially recreational drug taking, because it's going to happen anyway. So why don't we get the economic value of that back into the economy? Let's regulate tax it and regulate. Let's it tax it, and yeah. regulate it. Let's uh, let, let's enforce health inspections on sex workers, mm. for example. Let's you know get them a union so they're not they're not trafficked people, for mm. example. Uh, that they're tested regularly. That they mm. you know that they're paying tax. That you know they're working in a safe environment mm. and it's not run by 
you know, uh, uh, the underworld, mm. the, you know, the mafia, the gangsters, for example. And the same with drugs mm. is, um, you know, uh, we know that addicts will be a problem, but let's take them out of the hands of, of the gangsters. You know, if we look you at decriminalize the, it and you treat it almost as a, as a health issue rather mm. than a, which it is a pathological social issue, which mm. it isn't. It's a, you know, it's a health issue first and foremost. Yeah. And, and that's what addiction is. And, and what we're doing now by criminalizing it is pushing them into the hands of the, of, of the gangsters. So mm. an example I like to use, uh, often is, you know, when last did you see someone, you know, break into a house to steal a TV to buy a six pack of Amstel? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's because, you know, th- that they need to get their hands on illegal substances, which can only be acquired through illegal means. And mm. generally, because of the big profit margins, um, that means it's, you know, the gangsters who are benefiting. Um, Absolutely. So there's a, I mean, there's a whole massive debate around this. And which side of the fence do you sit on, Ranjini? I mean... No, obviously, with with uh, with health work, I mean, with sex workers, sorry, uh, you know, they, they, there's a definite argument to be made. But um, I'm not sure about uh, about the drug trade because where do you draw the line? Um, and uh, you know, I mean, already we've got um, you know a problem uh, with schools and. Uh, uh, you know, they, p- people always find uh, find ways to to cross the line. So, uh, as it is, you know, and um, if, if there's kind of of, um, of a relaxing of um, of the trade, uh, with a view to to decriminalizing it, I just think that you know, they uh, our our country battles to regulate the most basic things, you know, uh, uh, and I I just worry. That you know, if we do too too much too quick, uh, I think that we could make quick progress on on the decriminalization of uh, of sex work, but I, I worry about mm. the about the drug side. I, I guess my my sort of counter to that would be that it's not just an isolated decriminalization. Here you go and basically Have you know fun. go Knock get fucked up out. go <laughs> get fucked up every day yeah. of the week it's like alcohol for example i mean we have free access to alcohol but we're not sitting here smashed off our faces um and i think but for you yourself silly, yeah but but what obviously comes with that is obviously a big education program yes. so the money you get from taxing it the money you get from the sale of it goes into education prevention programs as well as clinics uh, for treating mm. you know addicts who, who will inevitably mm. be around and I, I, the bottom line is let's let's take the, let's make it a let's make it a health issue rather than you know a social or criminal issue. Mm. Well, uh, that's exactly what Denver's done as well. They, uh, I mean, they released in July. They, they're six months, you know, six months since we. So this is the first week. six months. Of, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and they reported revenue of twenty million dollars and expected wow. by the end of twenty fourteen to have revenue of I think they at the, the optimistic level estimated about a hundred million dollars. Um, now that's just the the interesting thing is that those that hundred million dollars, hypothetically speaking, it's not going to go into the treasury. It actually gets fed right back into drug addiction rehabilitation programs and the entire Ring-fenced. regulatory mm. structure, mm. Um, which I think is is quite a responsible and a very interesting way to go about it. Particularly yes. considering the governor was against it to begin mm. with. Mm. You really um, see. Uh Funding coming from the being ring fenced here in South Africa. I don't see it. Well, I mean, <laughs> look, we we can't make it, you know can't build things or plan for things assuming that it's going to you know cock out at the administrative level. We got to you know. Try it doesn't say we right shouldn't plans. try. We shouldn't to, try yeah. um, the other interesting thing that I read as well about Denver was that they had reported a drop in crime in the first six months, yes. um, which was you know overwhelmingly I think positive, uh, and we'll probably see. A lot more states, I think, follow suit and take, you know, take the cue from, from Denver. Mm. Um, 
interesting on that when I wrote a piece about um, promoting obviously the legalization or decriminalization of, of, of drugs, but that marijuana, if it was traded on the Chicago Board of Trade, which is a big sort of commodities um, exchange in America, if it was traded alongside all the other commodities like wheat and uh, um, those agricultural commodities, it would have been the second biggest traded commodity on the Chicago, Chicago Board of Trade. That's the, hmm. the estimated value of, uh, of marijuana in America. Um, it would be that big. I mean, and imagine Good all grief. the, yeah, imagine Good all the grief. tax revenue. And then also the, the counter side to that argument or, or the, you know, the other sort of, um, piece that of that puzzle is the fact that something like a third of all incarcerated, um, people in America are in on drug related offenses. Um, which would make a huge impact in terms of the number. And America has the, I think the highest number of people in prison per, um, per capita. Uh, it, I think it has the same number or just more than China in terms of total numbers. Mm. Um, but the population is a fraction mm. and, and that would be a massive, um, you know, release of state funds mm. and resources were those people. Yeah, I mean, not, if you're not, not arresting and putting someone on trial for carrying a banky of, uh, of, of weed. Mm-hmm. That immediately eliminates a large uh, population of American uh, sort of people arrested mm-hmm. uh, on on drug charges. And the massive uh, social dynamic that changes along with that exactly. as well. Um, okay, so coming back closer to home and news uh, at home, uh, Ranjini, we saw the ANC provincial government conference uh, this weekend. Uh, some interesting things that came out of that. Yeah, um, you know the ANC in Gauteng has is always. Uh, fashioned it themselves as the game changers. You saw, um, before the ANC's Mangaung conference in 2012 is that they were kind of rocking the boat in the ANC and, um, they, uh, you know, they were, they were moving from the position that things can't keep going the way it has and, you know, one of the things that they were angling for in 2012 was leadership change. Mm-hmm. And, um, they were proposing that, uh, Khalima Matlante take over from, from Jacob Zuma at the, at the ANC conference there. And possibly one of the worst campaigns yes. ever run for yes. any leadership yes. position the in the history. The problem is that they had positions. a candidate who really didn't want to run and didn't want to be there and, <laughs> you know, just was not interested. And so, so, so that was their I'm big here problem. for the champagne and yeah. caviar. <laughs> Well, even, even if it was that, at least there would have been some kind of campaign, you know, behind yeah. it if it was just for the champagne and the yeah. caviar. But there was just <laughs> this just reluctance. Like, Please leave me alone. Yeah. I want to go home kind of, um, approach, mm-hmm. you know. But the thing is that that, that campaign, the, the fact that it failed ha- had messed up the NC a lot here mm-hmm. in, uh, in Gauteng. And you saw the spillover manifested in, in various ways. It was, um, the the performance at the, uh, in in the 2014 elections the the nc slid by 11 percentage points here which is the Sorry, biggest and then just at mangoing as well we saw the effect of the Gauteng, uh a, a, a sort of push for uh, support for Halema, we saw a lot of those big uh, figureheads from Gauteng being sidelined. Being cleaned out from the National Executive Committee. Mm. I mean, somebody as powerful as Paul Mashatile was not elected on an 80-member NEC. And you, you found like relative nobodies in mm. the ANC mm. coming, coming up instead. So he, they got severely mm. punished. Um, and they've been in the dog box ever since. And there are other things that kind of made it difficult for them as well. Like you remember the, the memorial service of uh, former President Nelson Mandela 
Mandela. The, um, there was booing, the booing of the president from from the stadium, mm-hmm. and the ANC in Gauteng got blamed for it. They were they 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 were basically accused of mm-hmm. of mobilizing quietly, you know, to embarrass mm-hmm. the president. So they've had a lot of baggage to bear. Um, and uh, you know, after the 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 poor performance in the local, I mean, in the 2014 elections, there was actually a move from Lutuli House to to try and suspend them. Uh, altogether. But the thing is, what worked in their favor is that the NC dropped support in eight provinces. Uh, so th- if they tried to make a move against Gauteng, they would have had to, mm. you know, take action against the other guys as well. So they survived that. But what you found is that they, they launched kind of a ground cover campaign to recover and they came back fighting. They're basically, um, you know, able to reject all the Lituli House appointees mm. in Gauteng, um, and made a clean, clean sleep, a sweep of the, of, of the leadership, um, yeah, so they're back in force now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, Paul Mashatile was really uh, he, he was re- re-elected, re-elected, and the chairperson. The, yes, mm-hmm. uh, they, they were kind of digging their, in their heels, even though they, they performed badly in uh, after the elections, because uh, they resisted attempts from Latuli House to impose a premier. Uh, of their choice mm-hmm. Yeah So they, they kind of Dug in the hills And made sure that David Makura was um, mm-hmm. Was appointed So now you've got this uh, This kind of One-two uh, Formation Between Paul Mashatile And uh, David Makura um, And so One of the first things Makura did as Premier Was appoint the Etals panel mm-hmm. um, And this came as a shock To everyone Because the matter has been uh, You know It's run its course And everyone thought Okay there's, there's no option The only thing you can do Is not pay And see what happens um, and, mm-hmm. and let the, the crisis roll out at that uh, at that stage as to how can you take action against so many people for not paying so it was supposed to be dealt with there uh, you know, there was, uh, there was kind of an acceptance that at, at, um, a kind of policy level, you couldn't really do anything about it. But here, David Makura comes at the position of premier and he rocks the boat and he says, oh, I'm appointing mm-hmm. a panel to see what's the economic impact on this province. Um, and we've seen a lot of, um, a, a lot of, Differences of opinion as to what this panel uh, will be able to do, uh, what's within its mandate, what its powers are, and we start, we're seeing that that split, that rift between the the local provincial government and the national government, and the and the and the differing opinions, and and the guys at, at the local level saying, well, hey, you guys are screwing it up for us for ne- mm. for the for the next upcoming uh, local elections, and we have to bear the brunt of those decisions. But you know, in order to protect ourselves, we need to. Try and fix this mess you've got us in. The truth of the matter is that the provincial government has no powers to do anything with the, with etols. It's a national competence. They don't even have the powers to suggest alternate means or you know, to collect revenue by alternate. It's co- completely a national competence. But the fact that he's gone ahead and done this showed that he, they, they're going to try some move. Nobody was quite sure what it is. So what happened on Friday? Is that Paul Mashatile in his opening address, he then reveals that actually Devon Makura went and consulted the president before appointing mm. the panel. So you get to thinking, but the president yeah. if was... If he knew a, about it. Yes, exactly. Like, what is going on here? Is it sanctioned? Did the president green light this or yes. does he... Well, you know, what, what is the there? understanding between Makura and Zuma mm. on this thing? Makura won't say, I tried to ask him at, the, at the, the press conference. He just laughed and said, no, I can't tell you what I discussed with the president. But if you remember, you, the president made that weird comment that, you know, we have to have the e-tolls, we have to finance the roads. This is not some road in Malawi. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was... He is quite was quite definite mm. on it. Gwede Mantasha definitely said mm. the matter is closed. Etals are here. Mm. Get over it. So now you, there's something else going on here. We're not quite sure what's going on, but 
Then the NC, so Paul Machatilde then makes this revelation in his opening address. He says, let's support this panel. Uh, it's not working out with the ETOLs. Clearly from the submissions being made to the, the panel, mm. there's a lot of unhappiness. It's having an impact on this province, but it's having an impact on the ANC as well. Mm. The popularity of the ANC, yes, especially yeah. With mm. the upcoming elections, and you know, there's, there's other things that you know the, the, that I think national government doesn't consider. People are trying to avoid the the, the national roads, so they're using the inner roads. It's causing damage. It's causing congestion. Um, it's causing frustration. And they're not collecting the revenue from yes. the from the main roads. Yes. So the ones who are driving on the highway yes. don't care. So yes. we're so ending up with a bigger deficit yes. and a bigger yeah. cost to bear yes. than we would have originally. So you know, there are all kinds of complications. So these guys are tapping into the sentiment here in the province and saying, "Look, it's not working out." So the matter goes. To the conference floor They come back with a draft resolution on Sunday That says we must support the work of this panel And blah blah What happens? Conference says no No, 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 you can't say it like that Let's make this quite clear We don't want it Mm. We want a fuel levy or something else Mm. We don't want it, Mm. say it Specifically So uh, you know, we, the media was given copies of this draft resolution, and I, I'm, I'm I'm reading the text and I'm listening to what the new provincial secretary is reading. I'm thinking, huh, this is a different text altogether mm. because the the conference actually, you know, defied the actually, you know, what wow. what the provincial leader leadership proposed should be the the, uh, the the wording of this thing. They went, the delegates went one further and said, let's reject it. We do not support e-tolling. Despite having uh, no authority, right? Yes, they to, have to no actually authority. make a, a statement so, on this. So, firstly, uh, the, this now puts the provi- provincial ANC on a direct collision cause with the with the national mm. ANC. Um, secondly, if you put out a message like that from the ruling party in the province, backed from the top, from the premier and the provincial chairman, why should you and I pay? If, we, if if they don't support mm-hmm. it, why should we go and volunteer to hand over our money to Sandral? That's the big problem that national government, Sandral, the president, and everybody else has, mm-hmm. is that once this message went out, it disrupts the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they mm-hmm. can't go and, uh, you know, like have uh, roadblocks or whatever and, and, you know, try and still market mm-hmm. this when there is such a strong message coming out from the ruling party in this province. Um if the local government is willing to go to such lengths, um, you know, to distance themselves and to outright reject it, does it show how worried they are for the upcoming local elections? I think Next. it's more than that. I think they're saying that, listen, national government, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You, you, <laughs> do you, you, you're completely out of touch with this province. You don't get it. I think that the, the, this debate is is signaling other stuff as mm. well. People in this problem in this province, and and Mashatili was hinting at it. The, the middle class has grown significantly here. Mm. They are completely pissed off by Nkandla. Mm. They co- complete people who who grew up in the ANC, um, you know, have conti- con- uh, you know family ties to the ANC, mm. uh, who have the ANC in their blood, are mm. rejecting the ANC because of the what the national leadership is doing. Mm. So I think they're using this e-tolls thing to make a point that we can we can still be part of the of the NC but but do things differently and signal that we're rejecting what N- national is doing. Mm. So in a way, it's a kind of a proxy thing, but how far they'll push it, it, it remains to be seen. Because if they use it, I, I think they're going to make a bid again to to kind of 
uh, interfere with the succession of uh, uh, the succession battle within the NC. Mm. I think the NC in Gauteng is going to try and make some point and try and get in people who they think should be in the leadership. Mm. Obviously, they'll have to come up against KwaZulu Natal, which is who are those people? Okay. KwaZulu Natal. No, I mean from from the NC Gauteng. Um, you know, who are the people that they would want to? Put forward in support. Well, they 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 saying that their presidential candidate at the moment is Cyril Ramaphosa, mm-hmm. but it's not only about the presidential candidate; it's about the entire the top leadership. Six leadership. It's about mm-hmm. the NEC, the mm-hmm. people who mm-hmm. who make all the big decisions. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the funny thing is that Cyril Ramaphosa was the candidate of KwaZulu Natal in Mangawung, but now they've turned on him. They, uh, you know, thinking of somebody else because they feel that they can't trust him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, and they well, also mostly following Marikana and. No, 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 no. I think KwaZulu Natal has, has different considerations. I think that, you know, they have like this big political and business network mm. that they feel will be exposed if, if Ramaphosa mm. is president and, you know, like the kind of, um, uh, uh, financial benefits that are, left out, yes, uh, that, you know, yeah, okay. gotcha. so he gotcha. will, he will disrupt that. Mm. So I think Houting is, is trying to make several points using this eat all thing is that we're not going to take it lying down. We're going to take you on. We don't care that we don't have the powers. But we're going to do something mm-hmm. So this ETOL panel finishes its work At the end of November What you're going to have is Sometime before then The NC is going to make a submission to government Now this is also completely unprecedented Normally the NC makes policy Government implements mm-hmm. Now you have Government has this thing That's been implemented And the NC saying uh, We're coming to you to say We don't want it Stop it you know, mm. so it's, I don't at know the, how they're going to, at the provincial level. So you don't know. So mm. the thing is that what Makura will then do with the recommendations mm. of this panel, because he can either, either fight it at government or the mm. NC can fight it at NC level. Mm. What also that the NC has made a point this weekend is that user pay as a form of revenue generation for road man- maintenance and, and construction is not ANC policy. Never was, mm. never has been. That's the big problem with mm. eTolls. Is where did it come from? Who, who introduced it? it because mm. everything that's supposed to happen in this country is supposed to come out from ANC policy. Mm. It's not. Mm. So that is why they still feel that they have a chance to 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 have it scrapped because it's not policy. Mm. And reading between the lines that it's not policy, you know, may, lends one to think that there might be sort of some sinister motives behind it. Well, I don't know, maybe for me at least. Well, I mean, it goes back to the point that Auta has been making is that mm. how this thing evolved because mm. it came in kind of, you know, just kind of got introduced. I think John Flissmith makes it the, the, the point best where he says, you know, people saw these big things being constructed on the freeway. Nobody stopped and said, hey, Sipo, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and then suddenly, you know, you had all this like suddenly Carte Blanche was running a thing. Oh, you're going to have to pay for these roads. And, yeah. you know, that's how it came yeah. about. That's how, the, you know, public realization developed. So the lack of actual philosophical justification for this, yes. you know, li- like you say, Stilly, it opens it up for all sorts of scrutiny immediately without mm. even having to break down the, mm. you know, do we, where did this come from? How is it justified under ANC policy? I thought it was really funny that so many ANC people around the country would say, hey, really? Yeah, of course, it was an ANC policy. How did it come about? <laughs> Doesn't it? Uh, I mean, I love the, uh, I love the quote, uh, well, the Oliver Tambo quote in your piece, yeah. uh, which is just basically just, you know, personifies what's going on between, you know, the split between mm. the local and the, and the national, um, ANC. 
Yes, yeah. I mean, Paul Mashatila, I think he was very deliberate in saying, you know, quoting that, that uh, where Tambo says, nobody can destroy the NC, the NC will destroy itself. And he was signaling the fact that, you know, the, the, the NC keeps going to the cliff, uh, you know, and hanging over and, uh, you know, it, the, 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 it, it's not reading the public mood. It doesn't realize how much the image and brand of the NC is being destroyed by, um, you know, uh, scandal which, after scandal yes, after scandal. And, and, and um and you know it's kind of short termism because mm. the NCC is like taking on Julius Malema uh, in Parliament over the president. They think that that has to do mm. with you know the 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 um, preservation of the NC mm. when it's not. It's got nothing to do with the NC's policies and programs and histories and mm. traditions. It's not. It's about the protection of the president. Mm. And so people, you know, don't see that, you know, the, the actions that they take, the statements they make, the decisions that they, ca- they carry out, uh, you know, is, is, and the impact that it is, is hap- happening on, uh, on, that it is having on brand ANC. But c- can I ask a, a sort of open-ended question there? I mean, do you think the, the ANC will ever have this last straw on the camel's back moment? Um, I just, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm being too much of a white liberal here, but we always get the impression that Marikana, that's it. Xenophobic violence, this is it. Or, uh, th- there's Kandla always these, or... in Kandla, there's always this, this crucial, uh, climatical moment that's going to be the downfall of the ANC, and it, it and it never materializes. Arms uh, do, do you think version two point zero? Yeah, I mean, well, we'll talk about that <laughs> next year, I think, when, when we get to that. But, uh, the, the do you think there'll be this? The thing is Moment. that the NC is 102 years old. Mm. And, you know, it's, it, it, there's so, there's so much emotional ties to the NC mm. because it's a party mm. of liberation, because of the, you know, the, the, the history, the, the, the mm. number of legends that went by. You can't, pe- the people battled so much, uh, in, in this election where as angry as they were and disappointed and frustrated as they were with the NC. And you think, when you look at that NC flag and you look at, you know, you think about what it represents. And, and it's very from. difficult to mm. make a cross elsewhere. Mm. And that's the thing, but, to answer your question is that two things are happening. One is that the profile of the country is changing. The, the, the memory of apartheid is receding. Mm-hmm. So people are less emotionally tied to the NC. The goodwill of liberation is, yes. is fading. Yes. Mm. And secondly, Eroding you have the, 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 this thing where the NC is doing what, what Mashatila is saying. It's destroying itself. Mm. It's destroying its own brand and people can no longer in good conscience mm. support the NC. So I think you ha- these multiple crises will build to a mm. point. Mm. You know, I, 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 who would have thought a year ago that Julius Malema and the EFF would be what it is? It is what it is because of the anger mm. at the ANC. Mm. 1.1 million people went, yes. And there's no alternative, mm. you know, and, mm. and the ANC is not correcting itself. So I, I think to validate what you've just said, um, I attended the uh, Institute for Race Relations, had a presentation after the uh, election results were released and the, the the theme from the from the analysis into the numbers uh was ba- w- the biggest theme was that there were two elections going on uh there was a rural election and there was an urban election mm. and if you split those two aside and you look at the drop mm. in the votes at the rural and the sort of urban level you'll see 
a big trend starting to form, and that is that in the urban areas uh, is that there was a massive drop of 10% mm. basically mm. Uh, in votes for the ANC. Mm. And as you rightly say, the ANC Gauteng government it realizes that, sees that, knows well, what it's up against. 11% is huge. Uh, knows what, what, what it's up against. The rate of urbanization is going to continue happening in South Africa. People are going to continue moving to the cities. And as that happens, as that middle class grows, people are not going to take um, you know, the supply of basic services as good enough anymore. Mm. Whereas, you know, if you may be stuck in the rural area getting water, electricity mm. and a house time. for the first time, mm. it, that's enough to secure a vote for, for a generation, mm. for example. But as the middle class grows and urbanization grows, people are going to say, no, no, that's not good enough anymore. We can't have things like Nkandla and Marikana and arms deal and, you know, um, you know, uh, Travel gate and everything else that, that that's going on. Yeah, look, the the, the thing about the the disjunct that you're talking about also is that the EFF didn't really campaign in rural areas because mm. it didn't have the time. It was it, it was a new party. Mm. It didn't have the time and resources, so they didn't really make a big play for mm. rural areas. Mm. But now they do have time, mm. and that is why there is some kind of fear about what the the EFF can do in the local government elections. But yes, in terms of the the urban vote, people have access to information first and foremost. So they know they, you know, mm. via radio from sitting it's on the train. It's not only it's ABC; the, they've yes. got access to Daily Mail, <laughs> yes. Guardian, exactly. And, and uh, even on the trains, you know, you can read the Daily Sun on the way to to work. Mm. Uh, even there, you'll be able mm. to see, you know, that the issues are being raised in on uh, every media platform. Mm. Um, so, and then also that you, the breakdown of services is becoming more visible in mm. urban areas. Mm. Okay, so there's there's the, the the issue of the lack of housing and and things like that. But also you've had these water disruptions mm. you've had the billing crises mm. um you know and mm. uh, uh, add etals to that mix where people are struggling you know just to to get by and then they suddenly have to pay for this thing which they like jacob zuma and kandla didn't ask for so mm. you know you have this like toxic and should have mix. been paid by something else yes like the fuel levies, yes you know, so you have this toxic mix on a, a number on a number of things that are making people extremely disgruntled with the nc government and um the, the nc is not paying significant attention to that. So, for example, on the billing crisis in Joburg, it just it becomes an individual's responsibility to sort it out, to find a way, um, you know, to deal with it. With the water crisis, um, you know, the the new water and sanitation minister says, oh, it was a glitch because of of cable theft. You know, where you have thousands of people impacted not mm. having wa- for wa- for mm. water for weeks, you know, and you, you can't ca- go and say that it mm. means that you're not reading the public mood. Mm. You just don't get it. Mm. And also how, if you know, those kinds of problems, were they to happen in the rural areas, A, we probably wouldn't even know about yes. it because the media aren't covering it. But B, the disruption, um, you know, sorry to say, it wouldn't be as massive yes. for, for people in those yes. areas versus people mm-hmm. in, in the urban areas. And you see, the NC has a kind of a one-size-fits-all way of dealing with all these things. Uh, you know, it's, we're dealing with it, we'll get back to mm. you, uh, you know, th- that kind of thing. And they, and they do it with them um, in, mm. in, in, in township areas. Then they go and deploy the police. There's a big street fight and then p- people get tired and they go home. And so they just think that they can deal mm. with it. They don't realize. I, th- I think that is why the NC Gauteng is saying, listen, it can't be business as usual. Something needs to change here. Mm.
Mm. Well, it certainly makes for uh, interesting times. Not that there are uninteresting times in the <laughs> South African political landscape ever for yeah. maybe like five minutes at a time. Um, <laughs> before we wrap up for today, what's on the horizon, Ranjini? What's uh, okay, up for the rest of this week? At, at the moment, the, 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 the Powers and Privileges Committee in Parliament is, is sitting to consider the disciplinary charges against the EFF uh, MPs. I was watching it just before I came here. And it's amazing how Julius Malema is controlling, completely controlling Parliament these days. He walked um, out now. I he, heard he, on the radio he just walked well. out. Uh, yeah. he, he was, uh, you know, he... he Shock, th- horror. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, the thing is, if you remember, this stems back from um, the president's question time, mm. where he demanded from president mm. uh, from President Jacob Zuma, "When will you pay back mm. the money?" And that caused um, the disruption and the riot police be rushing into Parliament and all of that. So they're now facing uh, a series of charges. But you know, Malema was able to yank their chains on every single thing. How they put they read the charges, um, uh, you know whether uh, they 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 get to read every single charge to every single EFF MP or they read it together. Uh, you know he he had them by the short and curlies the entire morning. It was hysterical to watch. And you watch you you sit there mm. and you look at um, these ANC MPs looking at each other, not sure what to say next and how to to deal with them. They did look utterly confused. Yeah, in the they morning. were completely yeah. bamboozled. Mm. They kept saying, "Can we have time out? Can we have five minutes to?" discuss it because they really didn't know and then he came with this uh, oh gosh you know ass kicking representations he read for about half an hour well prepared document making the argument as to why the nc cannot be impartial judges on this matter because they were sitting across the house they were heckling the eff they were part of um calling the police in um uh, they, they, they they basically saying that they've contaminated the process already how can they sit now and judge them mm. in a disciplinary case and again you got the nc like looking at them flat footed saying Oh yeah, maybe you're right, but we're not quite sure what to do. Can we please go phone literally out <laughs> <laughs> and, and take instructions? So eventually, Juliet says, "I've said what I said. You decide what we want to do. We're not going to be part- participating in this process. Let's go." And just like that, yeah. they got up, walked out. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see now for the rest of the afternoon what the NC does, how they deal deal with this matter. Um, but then, on the other hand, parallel to this, you've got the the Nkandla thing, matter still plodding on the at the end of. Ad hoc toothless Which has also been walked out of. <laughs> yeah. So you've got, again, the ANC sitting all by its lonesome trying to prepare a report that says, oh no, President Zuma is the innocent victim of this. Mm-hmm. You know, this fire pool and everything else was imposed mm-hmm. on him. The public protector's office should pay towards <laughs> Nkandla. This is our recommendation. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's still going on uh, for the rest of the week. But um, yeah, as you say, in politics, it's never a dull moment. Yeah, well, certainly not in, in, in this country. John, uh, yeah. what are you looking at this week? I mean, outside of the the the, the ISIS and Ebola um, stories that'll <laughs> come up during the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I certainly want to look a little bit more into the uh, again, always always defence with me, I'm afraid. But uh, looking at the 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 submarines, I believe the the one that has been in dry dock for for quite a while now and has been the the subject of a lot of. Uh, it, uh, jokes, I guess, against the SA Navy is now undergoing sea trials again. 
this week. How which many is submarines do we have in our fleet? Um, I believe we have, well, we have two operational oh, two at operational any point. Ones? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, I believe the, the, the frigates are busy going, undergoing refit after their, 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 their piracy patrols and all that. So it seems like a, a pretty good, pretty good time for the Navy considering there's virtually no money in the SNDF at the moment. So mm-hmm. that's, that's quite interesting to see, um, going through this week to see how that, that, that pans out. I, I, I don't know if you, um, if you heard the, po- so, uh, sorry to sure, say, sure. The, heard the point. Um, I mean, heard the time the defense minister was answering questions in parliament and revealed that one of the submarines had been damaged because it drove into a wall. Well, it's the thing is, we have to remember this happens to any navy. Um, it but is a submarine, wall? after all. There's no windows or anything <laughs> like that. Um, you know, you get you get your dock walls and things like that in Simon Town. I'm not sure which wall specifically <laughs> they crashed into, but uh, yeah, I mean these these things are bloody difficult to 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 steer anyway. Yeah, and really in parallel they, park it. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> it's uh, quite quite difficult to sort of reverse into this. The time the parking is quite tight at Simon's Town these days, so it's uh, yeah, quite quite tricky. But um, yeah, I mean, these things happen in other navies all the time. The only difficulty is we, we have a very limited number. So when one goes down, it's it's quite a big thing, obviously. And I mean, I think understandably so. Yeah. Uh, and then there's obviously the, the big, uh, the other murder trial that's happening. Uh, and uh, just a, a quote from our... <laughs> Our WhatsApp group. I'm, I'll, I won't name this person. Uh, We're both flipping to our phones now. Yeah. <laughs> um, we quote, if guns and violence and celebrity and white fear were themes in the Oscar trial, this one is going to be about butt plugs. Um, <laughs> so on that bombshell, uh, <laughs> this is goodbye from the Daily Maverick show. Uh, I've been your host, Alicia Alamus. I've been joined by the beautiful Ryan Jenny Munsami and John Stupart. Guys, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll look forward to hosting you again next week.